Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Hey, last week we were in Leviticus chapter 8, and uh, one of the things that uh, we brought up was that uh, Aaron was anointed with oil. Chapter 8 deals with the consecration of Aaron and his, and his high priest. And, and I mentioned that, uh, you know, when someone today or, you know, now comes up to me and asks to be anointed with oil, I pull out uh, some anointing oil and I put a little dab on my finger and, you know, put it on their forehead. I, sometimes I do the cross because, you know, I don't know what else to do. And then I pray for them. And uh, so, um, but, you know, what I mentioned last week was if we really wanted to be biblically accurate, We'd have to do it a little bit different. So, today, if anybody wants to get anointed with oil, <laughs> we're going to do it, man. <laughs> Come on up. <laughs> Let's go, Lord, and prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for those beautiful children and, and just the excitement about, uh, Lord, just as Tim was sharing, Lord, we have a home that you're preparing for us in heaven, and Lord, it's going to be glorious. Lord, anything that we might be going through today, Lord, that maybe is not that glorious, maybe we're going through a difficult time right now, Lord, just the hope and the promise of heaven, Lord, that should just cheer us up if nothing else does. And so we thank you for that, Lord God. And Lord, this morning, uh, I want to lift up to you Donna as she's uh, prepared to go into hospice, Lord, uh, a relative of Dawn. Lord, I pray for her and uh, her uh, daughter-in-law, I think her daughter, Diane, Lord, and thank you that she's a believer and uh, Lord she's uh, she's uh, getting prepared to see you to meet you face to face and Lord we all are at some point in our lives and we just pray for them we pray for the family that you might encourage them and uh, just grant them your mercy through this time Lord Lord we want to just thank you for the opportunity to be here Lord we pray for those that are being persecuted throughout the world Lord for their faith Lord, those that are in prisons or in, or they've been beaten, maybe they're in hospitals or they're without work or without, without food, Lord, uh, without shelter because of their faith in you. Lord, we want to lift those brothers and sisters up to you. Lord, we ask your, your hand of mercy, your hand of protection, your hand of providence and providence, uh, providing for them, Lord God. And uh, Lord, now as we turn our hearts to your word, I pray that you might fill me with your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Leviticus chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, you could raise your hand. We do have, looks like some people already grabbed one. We do have another Bible. We can probably get more, actually, if you need, because we do have more in the back. If anybody needs a Bible, just uh, raise your hand. We'll, we'll uh, thump you with one. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Leviticus chapter 9. Now, mentioned chapter 8 last week was the consecration of uh, Aaron and his sons. Uh, they were priests, Aaron, of course, being the high priest. And uh, this consecration lasted for seven days. And for seven days, they were to remain at the tabernacle, at the door of the tabernacle. Uh, we looked at all the, the sacrifices that were being offered and uh, commanded to be offered throughout, the, throughout those days. And each sacrifice, every day, there was another, you know, all these sacrifices were repeated day after day after day for seven days. And then here we get to the eighth day. Uh, chapter 9, verse 1. It came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a young bull as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering without blemish, 
and offer them before the Lord. And to the children of Israel you shall speak, saying, Take a kid of the goats as a sin offering, and a calf and a lamb, both of the first year without blemish, as a burnt offering, also a bull and a ram as peace offerings, to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord will appear to you. Today, the eighth day. You know, they had been mentioned, they had been, I mentioned they had been in uh, waiting for seven days. Seven in the Bible is really, it's an interesting number. It's the number of completion. You know, there's seven days in a week. Uh, there are seven notes in a, in a musical scale. And you get to the eighth day, the eighth day in a calendar, it's the new week, right? It's the start of a new week. The eighth note in a musical scale, it's the start of a new octave. And so eight is the number of beginnings, of new beginnings. And so they waited for seven days, and now the eighth day, the Lord is going to appear to them. And uh, how exciting that would have been for them, all this waiting and anticipation of what was going to take place. But what's interesting, you'll note, is despite that they were, you know, they were sequestered, so to speak, at the door of the tabernacle. I don't know if any of you ever been to a, a, a retreat or a conference, and maybe it's one that's been out of town, and you've 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 been out there, and you've you've been around with brothers and sisters in the Lord or family or whatever, and and you, you stay at maybe at a conference grounds and stuff, and it's such a glorious time, and uh, you know it's just like you're you're with the Lord, you're with your friends and stuff, and and uh, it, it just feels like it's just more of a spiritual ish, yeah, it's more more of a spiritual time there. And I can imagine that Aaron and his brothers, or excuse me, his sons. Uh, they probably felt the same way. Um, you know, they're not being tainted by the world. They're there in the tabernacle. Um, they're doing sacrifices all week long on a daily basis. And then what's interesting is there's still the need for Aaron the high priest to offer sin offering. Even though they've been there all this time, not interacting with, you know, heathens or whatever, they still have to offer a sacrifice. Why? Because men are by nature sinners. And so it doesn't matter your environment or whatever, sin is still an issue that needs to be dealt with. The writer of Hebrews kind of addresses us in chapter five, verses one, he says, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men thing, uh, in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. And so we get to verse five. And so they brought what Moses commanded before the tabernacle of meeting and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord commanded you to do. The glory of the Lord will appear to you. And Moses said to Aaron, go to the altar, offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people. Offer the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord commanded. Aaron therefore went to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering which was for himself. Then the sons of Aaron brought the blood to him and he dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar and poured the blood at the base of the altar. But the fat, the kidneys, and the fatty lobe from the liver of the sin offering he burned on the altar as the Lord had commanded Moses. The flesh and hide he burned with fire outside the camp. So before they can even offer the atonement's sacrifices for the people, Aaron still needed to offer the sacrifices of atonement for himself. He had to have his heart right with the Lord before he could minister to other people. 
But that, again, it's because he's a man. You know, Aaron is the picture of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. And what the Bible says about him in Hebrews 7, verses 26 and 27 says, For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests, he's referring to Aaron, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Jesus Christ was the perfect Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. Verse 12. And he killed the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons presented to him the blood which he sprinkled all around on the altar. Then they presented the burnt offering to him with its pieces and head, and he burned them on the altar. He washed the entrails and the legs and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. Then he brought the people's offering, took the goat, which was the sin offering for the people, and killed it and offered it for sin, like the first one. And he brought the burnt offering and offered it according to the prescribed manner. Then he brought the grain offering, took a handful of it, and burned it on the altar besides the burnt sacrifice of the morning. He also killed the bull and the ram as sacrifices of peace offerings, which for, were for the people. And Aaron's sons presented to him the blood, which he sprinkled all around on the altar, and the fat from the bull and the ram, the fatty tail which covers the entrails and the kidneys, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and they put the fat on the breasts. Then he burned the fat on the altar, but the breasts and the right thigh Aaron waved as a wave offering before the Lord, as Moses had commanded. And we went into great detail about that in weeks past. Verse 22, then Aaron lifted his hand toward the people, blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering and peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. In these 21 verses that I've been reading and you've been looking at, hopefully reading along with me, you'll notice many times the word commanded is repeated over and over and over. God commanded Moses. God told Moses exactly what was to take place in these sacrifices. And Moses in turn is commanding the people and he's commanding Aaron. And they're, they're, they're following exactly what God said. And the key word out of this whole chapter is obedience. They were obeying what the, what the Lord commanded. And as the result of their obedience, you'll notice that Aaron has a heart wanting to bless God's people. Because that's what happens when you are in obedience to the Lord. It changes our hearts towards others around us. You know, one of the purposes for the Levitical priesthood in Deuteronomy 10, verse 8, there's three different things that are described, but one of them speaks to this. Deuteronomy 10, verse 8, it says, At that time the Lord separated the tribe of Levi, first thing, to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, first thing. The second thing, to stand before the Lord to minister him to him. And then the third thing, to bless in his name to this day. That was one of the purposes of the high priest. You know, we are a royal priesthood too. The Bible says it. We're a holy nation, a royal priesthood. One of our responsibilities is to bless others around us. Uh, you've got to ask, I'm rhetorically asking, am I a blessing to those around us or am I a bummer? Are you a bummer or a blessing? We want to be a blessing to those around us. 
we're blessed by our great high priest, Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. All our blessings come from God, but it's through Jesus Christ and what he did for us. And so as a result of all this obedience, they've obeyed, they followed the commands of the Lord, exactly how he describes how he wanted to be worshipped, how he was to be worshipped. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And, you know, there's a temptation to think, okay, you know, they, they've, they've been doing all these sacrifices, seven days worth of sacrifices. Now an eighth day, it's like a, a culmination, a climax of all these sacrifices. And you'd think that, well, maybe it's because they reached the threshold of sacrifices that now the fire of God's going to come down and consume the sacrifice. They, they've sacrificed so much, now God's ready to, 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 to do that. Well, it's not because the sacrifices reached the correct threshold. It's because of the obedience of the priests. It's the obedience of the heart. Listen, if the threshold of sacrifices were the requirement, remember the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal? Those guys, man, they sacrificed. They sacrificed all day, all the way from the morning into the evening. They were, they were, they were doing all kinds of sacrifices for their idol that they were worshiping, and they were cutting themselves, and they were, I mean, it was like the ultimate sacrifice that they did and nothing happened. Compare that to Elijah. What did Elijah do? We, you can read about it, but basically he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been broken down because they had neglected worshiping Jehovah. He prepared the sacrifice on the, or, on the altar like it was described that we're reading right now. And then he poured all kinds of water. That's a whole different story, but he poured all kinds of water, lots of it on there. And all he did after that was prayed. He just prayed. And fire came down and consumed the thing. Listen, if the thresholds of sacrifices were the requirement, what about the Pharisees? I mean, they sacrificed all the time. This is what Samuel, I know you women have been going through the book of Samuel, First and Second Samuel. You know, Saul was the first king of Israel. Saul uh, disobeyed, disobeyed God, and God removed him from being the king over Israel. Samuel was the priest that anointed him. In 1 Samuel 15.22, Samuel's talking to Saul, and he says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. Or you're wondering, how can I get the Lord to be, you know, to, 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 to do something in my life? Well, maybe if I sacrifice this, I give up that, or I do this or that, then God's going to be pleased with me. No. It's obedience. It's obedience to what he says in his word. That's the answer. And so this fire, this consuming fire, it consumed the sacrifice on the altar. It came down from God. It was a fire that did not have human kindling. We'll compare that to another fire uh, in chapter 10. Well, actually, that fire was from God too, but we'll compare those two fires in chapter 10. Interesting thing, and we don't read about it in this chapter, but as we read earlier in Exodus, the construction of the tabernacle, one of the things that was mentioned in there was that the altar was elevated. It was a little bit higher than the, than the ground around it. And there was a, a ramp, so to speak, where uh, Aaron, the high priest, they would go up this ramp and then they would be offering these sacrifices on this elevated place. 
Aaron, as we've talked about before, in the role of the high priest, he's a picture or a type of Jesus Christ, our high priest. And so as we read in this chapter, he does these sacrifices as God commanded, and then he blesses the people, and then he would have had to have walked down the ramp, come down among the people. And at that point, fire comes down a little later on, fire comes down and, and consumes the altar. I think it's an interesting picture because Jesus Christ, our high priest, before he ascended into heaven, he blessed the disciples gathered there around him, and then he ascended into heaven. He didn't go down. He went up. And then on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended on the disciples in the form of tongues, tongues of fire on the heads of the disciples. Very interesting. Jesus in Luke chapter 12, verse 49 says, I came to send fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. Now, if you look at the context of where Jesus is saying this, he's speaking about division between believers and unbelievers. And you probably know this if you grew up or part of an unbelieving family and you come to faith in Christ Jesus, there's animosity between you and your family. There tends to be. If you're following the Lord, there's, there's, this, there's this difference that's going on. And, and, and that's the context of what Jesus was saying. But he's speaking about the purifying power of the Holy Spirit and the zeal that he produces in the life of the believers. That consuming fire, I want it to consume me. I want to be zealous for the Lord. I hope you do too as well. So chapter 9 here, we looked at, it really describes acceptable worship. And as hopefully you've kind of caught on by now, it's obedience. That's what's acceptable. That's our worship that's acceptable to the Lord is when we obey him. Chapter 10, we're going to look at it as well this morning, describes unacceptable worship. And we're going to see the consuming fire in a much different way in chapter 10. So let's look at that, verse 1. Now these guys that are mentioned, they're the sons of Aaron. They were the priests with them. Then Nadab and Abihu, verse 1, the sons of Aaron each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. Then Moses called Mishael and Elizaphan, the sons of Uziel, uh, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them by their tunics out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not uncover your heads, nor tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. You shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. That's pretty severe what we're reading there, isn't it? What did these guys, Nadab and Abidu, do wrong? Well, the Bible says that they offered strange fire. Another word for that is profane fire or common fire. They, you know, maybe they had a campfire or something. They, they kindled their own flames and they brought it in the censer. They were not using the fire from the altar as God had commanded them. And you might say, well, what's so bad about that, that the Lord would, would kill them as a result of this? 
Well, there's a couple reasons. One of the reasons is they tampered with the type. They tampered with the typing. Like, what in the world is he talking about? Listen, the altar of burnt offering where the fire, they were supposed to take the fire off. The, the sacrifice on the altar, even the fire, which we read about in Leviticus 6, verse 12, it was never allowed to go out. It was continually be burning on the altar. All of these pointed to Calvary, pointed to the cross of Christ, where Jesus took the fire of God's judgment. Uh, it was fully satisfied. God's judgment was fully satisfied in Christ Jesus. He laid down his life on the altar like the burnt offering, totally consumed. And his sacrifice, as the fire was never to go out, it was for all time, for all people, always. They tampered with the type. It's like when Moses struck the rock the second time at Rephidim. I don't know if you, or Rephidim, I should say. I don't know if you recall that story. But the children of Israel in the wilderness... And they've come out of Egypt as slaves, and now they've been delivered, and they're, 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 the Lord's guiding them through the wilderness. And they get to a point where they're, they're thirsty. They don't have water. And so they cry out, and they're complaining, and, and, and Moses cries out to the Lord, Lord, what should I do? And God says, go strike the rock. And so Moses strikes the rock. Water pours out abundantly, and, and they're satisfied. They're drinking. Well, later on in their wilderness waterings, again, they're, they're, at, this, they're at Rephidim, riff at him again and again they're thirsty and again they're crying out and they're grumbling and they're complaining by this time Moses is probably getting a little tired of it but they're complaining and uh, so Moses goes Lord Lord what shall I do and the Lord says speak to the rock and water will come out Moses is angry I mean these guys have been grumbling and complaining I don't know if you've ever been around someone that grumbles and complains all the time it's wearing on you well he was at the end of his rope I guess and so Moses rebuked the children of Israel, and he struck the rock, and water poured out. In fact, they actually think that's the rock, but that's debatable. But anyways, they, they, they think that that's actually the rock. It could be. Who knows? Um, but Moses tampered with the type as well. As a result of that, he couldn't go into the, into the promised land. Why? why? Why was that so severe? Well, because the rock, which we find out in, in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, it was a picture of Jesus Christ. And to strike the rock, Jesus Christ was struck once. He paid the price once for our sins on the cross. And now all what we need to do is we just need to come and speak to Jesus and repent of our sins and invite him into our heart, and we're forgiven. And that water gushes out, living water. Moses tempered with the type. He struck the rock the second time, the picture of Christ. He, he messed up the picture of Christ. As a result, it was pretty serious. Well, here... Nadab and Abihu, they're tampering with the type. They're taking fire that wasn't described, it wasn't prescribed from somewhere, who, who knows where. And it wasn't the fire from the altar that was the approved, that God had prescribed. And so they were consumed by the flame from the altar. So they tampered with the type. What else did they do wrong? They ignored the instructions. They ignored the instructions. God had commanded how he was to be worshipped. Nadab and Abihu willfully ignored the commands of the Lord. In that verse up there, it says that they did it before the Lord. That implies that they kind of, in our vernacular, we would say they did it to his face, or they did it in his face, just willfully obedient. 
they were worshiping God on their own terms instead of on his terms. And people do that all the time. You know, I'm, I'm going to worship God the way I want to worship God. I can worship God out in the wilderness. Yeah, you can. Or out in the forest. Yeah, you, yeah, you can. That's, that's true. You can. But God has a specific commands on how he's to be worshipped. And they were worshipping God on their own terms. What made it especially bad was all this knowledge that they had received. I mean, the Lord God had given all this revelation of how he was to be worshipped. The events that they had experienced. I mean, they'd seen all the miracles that God had done. They experienced many. In fact, in Exodus chapter 24, verses 1 and 2, we read this. Now, and this is the Lord. Now, we said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders, and worship from afar. And Moses alone came near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with them. So Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders, they go with Moses up onto Mount Sinai. Later on in verse 9 of chapter 24, it says, Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, kind of like the, the stones that, that Tim had there. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hands. So they saw God, and they ate, and they drank. Nadab and Abihu, they had this wonderful spiritual experience with the Lord God on Mount Sinai. They had seen so much. They experienced so much. They were appointed along with their father to be the priests of God for the children of Israel. That, that level of spiritual influence had been entrusted to them. You know what that goes to show? Biblical knowledge, spiritual experiences, even a position of leadership doesn't guarantee a right relationship with the Lord. It's only one thing that does. Obedience. Obedience. That's the key word today, obedience. <laughs> well, why did they do it? Well, we get some clues in the scriptures because nobody really knows. But here's a possible clue. It says, this is what the Lord spoke. And this was Moses speaking to them. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before the people, I must be glorified. So one possible clue is they may have been trying to take the glory that belongs to God alone. And that can happen. That can happen when we're worshiping or, or, or when a worship or a ministry becomes a performance. I don't know if you've ever been to a, a, a place where, you know, that's one thing. We're trying not to do a performance when we're doing worship because that's not what it's about. We're just worshiping the Lord. And we're, doing, we're trying to do our best for the Lord. But we're not here to entertain you. You're, we're just providing the music for you to worship the Lord. But when worship or a ministry becomes a performance, when we try to take the attention away from the Lord onto ourselves, it's kind of the same thing. We're taking the glory that belongs to the Lord. So that's one possible clue. There's another possible clue that we'll get to in just a couple verses. But verse 6, it says, uh, look again at verse 6, I'm sorry. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not uncover your heads, nor tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning of the Lord as kindled. You shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did, according to the word of Moses. Can you, can you picture what's going on here? Imagine how hard that be. 
you're the father, you're Aaron. Your sons, they've just been wiped, they, they're dead. And you're told not to publicly mourn. That, that'd be tough. Similar thing, I just finished going through the book of Ezekiel in my own personal devotions, and Ezekiel, kind of a similar story happened to him. In one sense, anyways. It involves his wife. Ezekiel chapter 24, you don't need to turn there, I'll just read this to you. Verse 15, also the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, behold, I take away from you the desire of your eyes with one stroke. Yet you shall neither mourn nor weep, nor shall your tears run down. Sigh and silence, make no mourning for the dead. Bind your, uh, your turban on your head and put your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your lips and do not eat man's bread of sorrow. And this is what happened. So I spoke to the people in the morning, and at evening my wife died. And the next morning I did as I was commanded. Can you imagine? God says, hey, I'm going to take your, the love of your life, and you're not to mourn about it. Well, there's a reason why, and it was because it was a, it was a, it was a message to the children of Israel to the, to the, uh, for their, because of their disobedience, how bad it was going to be when they went into captivity. It's interesting. I, I, sometimes I come across people that like to proclaim their prophets or, you know, I'm a prophet. And it's like, they're, it's like, wow, you're a prophet. And, you know, and boy, I tell you, reading stories like this about Ezekiel, I, don't, I would be a little hesitant to go, yeah, I want to be a prophet. No, I don't know about that. I love my wife too much. <laughs> Why was Aaron not allowed to mourn? Listen, he was also in a place of great influence and visibility. Okay, he's the high priest of Israel. Does that mean he can't, he can't have feelings like everyone else? No, that's not the point. The point is this. God's judgment was just. And Aaron probably didn't understand it. Maybe, maybe he did. It may have seemed over harsh or cruel, but God's judgment was just. And even if Aaron couldn't understand it. Listen, if he had publicly mourned uh, his sons in this situation, of course the people would have been, oh, poor Aaron, you know, your sons are white. But eventually, it could have been poor Nadab and Abihu. I can't imagine God would be so cruel. And it would paint God in a, a light that's not true. Another possible clue why Nadab and Abihu did what they did is in verse 8. This is after all this occurs. Verse 8, Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink. You know your sons with you when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It should be a statute forever throughout your generations that you may distinguish between holy and unholy and between unclean and clean and that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. So another clue, and again, we don't really know, but the clue is they possibly could have been intoxicated and they possibly used poor judgment by offering profane fire. In other words, they were too drunk to think clearly. Well, that brings up a whole issue for you and I. You're like, okay, here's the shoe's going to drop. Can Christians drink alcohol? We need a drum roll. <laughs> Listen, I don't see any prohibit, uh, prohibition of it in the New Testament. I don't see it anywhere. But the Bible does say that pastors and elders are not to be given to wine. Interesting, deacons and mature women in the church are not to be given to much wine. So if you're, you know, it's like, man, <laughs> I 
I get a kick out of that. The elders and the pastors, and I give them to wine, but the deacons, just not much wine. <laughs> However you want to take that, you can take that. But Listen, I disagree with some people that say in the New Testament that the wine was not fermented. I disagree with that because um, here they're being warned not to drink wine. So if it wasn't fermented, why would they even be warned not to drink it? It's like, don't drink grape juice. I don't, I don't think, I don't buy that. But listen, there are scriptures that I think are very educational, instructional for us. Ephesians 5 verse 18, Paul said this, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. We're not to be drunk. Many places in the New Testament were told to be sober-minded. One example, 1 Peter 1, verses 13 and 14, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance. So should I drink alcohol? Again, I, I don't think there's a prohibition against Christians drinking, but should I drink alcohol? That's, that's a bigger question. There's two reasons here why Aaron and his sons after him were prohibited from drinking wine or intoxicating drink while they were ministering as priests in the tabernacle. And it says it there, that you may distinguish between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know, people do things when they're drunk that they'd never, ever do when they're sober. <laughs> it's like, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I danced on the table with a light shade on my head, you know. Um, they would never do those things. And listen, the devil is waiting for you and I to trip you up, to trip me up. We need to be able to distinguish between the holy and the unholy and the, and the unclean and the clean. And when you're drunk, when you're intoxicated, that inhibition, that, that good sense of judgment, it, it's out the door. And people do the craziest things. You know, as a pastor, uh, you know, I grew up in a family. My, my family, they drank alcohol. They're Christians. But they didn't get drunk, but they had an occasional drink. So I grew up with that, with that kind of that understanding and that, that liberty at, at, at a certain point until the Lord kind of spoke to me and I, and I stopped. I quit drinking altogether. But as a pastor since then, I've seen so much damage that alcohol does. It ruins marriages. It ruins families. It ruins reputations. It's like, man, why would you even want that? It's so destructive. So the first reason that the Lord gave Aaron and his sons after him is that they would distinguish between the holy and the unholy, between the unclean and the clean. And then the second thing is this, that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. And I would just say this, you know, who's watching you? Who's watching your life? We have a, a very dear friend who's a pastor, Calvary Chapel pastor. Uh, he was our first Calvary Chapel pastor. I love him dearly. He's a great man of God. And we were visiting him out in California once, and, and uh, he was just kind of relaying this story to us. I don't even know how we got on the subject, but he said, yeah, you know, uh, my wife and I, we went clear. They were out at, they were visiting. Oh, they, they went down to San Antonio, Texas from California. They, you know, there was a river walk. I've never been there, but there's that river walk there. They're at a restaurant there, and, and I guess the pastor said, yeah, I just really feel like having a margarita. Just, you know, I'm just by myself, you know, I'm not going to stumble anybody. Orders one. And sure enough, before he gets a chance to drink it, someone walks up and says, hey, Pastor Tim, how you doing? It was one of the guys from his church. 
It's like, okay, Lord, <laughs> I get the message. <laughs> I get the message. Uh, that happened to Bob Coy, too, the pastor, former pastor of uh, Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. He went, he went all the way across Florida, was, decided he was going to have a glass of wine with his meal, and then someone goes, hey, Pastor Bob, how you doing? So the Lord keeps us pastors on short leashes, I tell you. Um, but who's watching you? Who's watching your life? Listen, weaker Christians are watching you and I. And Paul addresses that in Romans 14, verse 21. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. You mean I have to actually care about what somebody else thinks? Is there a brother in the Lord? Yeah, you should. You really should. Weaker Christians are watching you. Unbelievers are watching you and I. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 32-33, Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. And so people are watching us. Unbelievers are watching us, and they want to know, are, is, is he just like everybody else? Is she just like everybody else? Or is there a difference in our lives? People are watching us. The next question of should you drink alcohol, let me ask you this. Is it controlling you? Paul said this in verse, 1 Corinthians 6, 12. Again, I don't think there's a prohibition against drinking alcohol for believers, but this is what Paul said. Give no offense, oh, excuse me, uh, chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I'm not going to let anything control me other than the Holy Spirit. Listen, if everything you do has to have alcohol involved, you have a social gathering, well, we've got to have some beer, we've got to have some wine, you know, we've got to have something, you know. Uh, if the only way that you can enjoy yourself or relax or feel like you can socialize is by having a drink, there has to be alcohol present, it's controlling you. It's controlling you. There's another thing that I'll bring up. In Proverbs 31, verses 4 through 7, and this is presumably, this is Lemuel as a king, but it's presumably Bathsheba giving advice to her son Solomon, the king of Israel. Proverbs 31, verse 4, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. But the message is for you, Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink. So maybe, and this is something I can't answer for you, it's between you and the Holy Spirit. Because I'm not here trying to make a thing like, okay, if you come to Calvary Chapel, you better not have any alcohol. You know, you can't drink it. I'll say this. We don't have alcohol at any of our Calvary Chapel events. We won't allow that. But what you do on your own, that's between you and the Lord. Because I don't, I, I, again, I don't see a prohibition. But maybe, and I'll just, just prayerfully consider this, maybe it's not for you to drink. Not that it's wrong, not that you're going to go to hell, or, but, but maybe it's not for you. Maybe the Lord's just laying there. He did that to me. That was the scripture that hit me. Is Maybe it's not for me to drink. And so, okay, Lord, I don't need it that bad. It's not controlling my life. All right, let's move on here. Verse 12. 
And Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons who were left, take the grain offering that remains of the offerings made by fire to the Lord and eat it without leaven beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place because it is your due and your son's due of the sacrifices made by fire to the Lord, for so I have been commanded. The breast of the wave offering, the thigh of the heave offering, you shall eat it in a clean place, you, your sons, and your daughters with you, for they are your due and your sons' due, which are given from the sacrifices of peace offerings of the children of Israel. The thigh of the heave offering and the breast of the wave offering they shall bring with the offerings of fat made by fire to offer as a wave offering before the Lord. And it shall be yours and your sons with you by a statute forever as the Lord has commanded. Then Moses made careful inquiry about the goat of the sin offering, and there it was, burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the sons of Aaron who were left, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in a holy place, since it is most holy, and God has given it to you to bear the guilt of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord? See, its blood was not brought inside the holy place. Indeed, you should have eaten it in a holy place as I commanded. I mean, can, can you imagine that? Nadab and Abihu, they, 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 they willfully go off. They, they wander from God's commands and they're consumed on the, you know, by fire from the altar. After what Nadab, Nadab and Abihu had just done, now Eleazar and Ithamar, they're not obeying the commands of the Lord regarding the sin offering. And so Moses was angry because they didn't do precisely what was commanded of them. This was, again, this was the goat for the sin offering. What was supposed to happen? Well, its blood was to be sprinkled on the altar and poured out the base of the altar. The flesh was to be boiled and eaten by the priests in the tabernacle. Unlike the peace offering, the peace offering is different, but this one, by partaking of the meat from the sacrifice of the sin offering, they were symbolically bearing the sins of the people by, by partaking of the sin offering, the meat of the sin offering. Jesus Christ, again, that's the type. Jesus Christ, our great high priest, he bore our sin upon himself. He bore our iniquities, Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And so here they are, like Nadab and Abihu, they're tampering with the type. They're messing up the picture. It says, and he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the sons of Aaron, who were left, saying, Why have you not eaten the, uh, the sin offering in a holy place, since it is most holy? And God has given it to you to bear the guilt of the congregation, to make atonement for them before the Lord. See, his blood was not brought inside the holy place. Indeed, you should have eaten it in a holy place, as I commanded. And so he was angry with his two remaining nephews. Like, man, I, 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 I want to at least have a couple nephews. <laughs> I mean, I've already lost two. But it's interesting, he's angry with them, but Aaron's the one who speaks to Moses on their, on their behalf. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us, but it appears that they were either following Aaron's example or maybe even Aaron instructed them, hey, don't eat, don't eat it. And so Aaron's the one that responds to Moses there in verse 19. And Aaron said to Moses, look, this day they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, and such things have befallen me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would it have been accepted in the sight of the Lord? This is Aaron's response. Hey, they did offer up the sin offering and the burnt offering, but man, today, 
All these things have happened today. Can you imagine the grief that Aaron felt as a parent or as a grandparent? And you, you see things happen to your children, they sin, and you see the, the consequences of, of the decisions they make, and it just grieves your heart. I can imagine how Aaron felt the grief, and he had to hold it in. He couldn't publicly display it. You know, Samuel grieved over Saul, too. And, and Samuel, you know, God took Saul from being the king of Israel, and it was a just judgment that God made. It seemed harsh, but it was a just judgment. And in 1 Samuel 15, verse 35, it says, And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death, because he couldn't legitimize what Saul did. But it says, Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. His heart was still, he still cared about him, and so he mourned for him. And so you can imagine the grief that Aaron's feeling that day. And the humility, too. He says, if I had eaten the sin offering today, would it have been accepted in the sight of the Lord? What's he saying? Basically, he wouldn't have eaten it with joy. It wouldn't have been a joyful thing. He's, he's, got, he's got such a heavy heart. And not only that, but he probably felt unworthy to eat the sin of the, of the, of the, of the sacrifice on behalf of the people because his own sons had just royally messed up in front of everybody. They had sinned so badly and so grievously. And so he's like, man, I how can I do it? I, I just feel so guilty. Verse 20, so when Moses heard that, he was content. I want to say something about this. Aaron was wrong, okay? Aaron was wrong. He did disobey the commands of the Lord. You don't minister by your feelings. You don't minister by your feelings. You minister by faith in obedience to God's word. If I ministered by feelings, I wouldn't be here half of the morning, Sunday mornings that I'm here. Sometimes I just feel so unworthy to be here. But I don't base my ministry on feelings. I base it on obedience to God's word in faith. Well, why wasn't Eleazar and Ithamar, why weren't they not struck down like Nadab and Abihu? This is the point I want to get across to you this morning. Nadab and Abihu were willingly disobedient. They were willingly disobedient. Whether they were drunk or not, there's no excuse. They carelessly offered strange fire in God's face, the scripture says. Eleazar and Ithamar, and probably by extension Aaron, they missed the mark. Their sin was a sin of weakness. And here's what I want to get across this morning. Listen, if you don't care what God's commands are, you're like, I don't care. God says, I care less. I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. Watch out. <laughs> Watch out. Galatians 6, verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Hebrews 12, verses 28 and 29, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. If you're willfully disobedient, watch out. I'm warning you. But if your spirit is willing, but your flesh is indeed weak, how many of us can attest to that? And you miss the mark. You sin in weakness. I have this verse for you. Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Listen, it doesn't take away that you sinned, 
I, I missed the mark. You still sinned. But take heart, repent, and know that you're forgiven. First, or First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, you may feel terrible for how you feel, how you failed. I feel terrible when I sin. And I know I'm forgiven, but I feel so terrible. I feel so unworthy. It's like, I can't go up to that pulpit anymore, Lord. But don't let that stop you from getting up and walking with your Savior. Proverbs 24, verse 16, I'll close with this. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but